Leap, thank you for coming on to Rising Giants with us today. Just as a quick background for the audience, you are a Cambodian technology entrepreneur and the CEO of Sala, local enterprise that contributes to the Cambodian economy through its business activity and job creation, but also by developing products that serve the nation and global sustainable development goals or SDGs of ensuring inclusive and equitable quality education and economic growth. So it's been about 17 years now since you've graduated high school. And I think a great question to start off with is thinking back on that time, what was your least favorite subject to study in high school? <laughs> I would say maths. <laughs> math. um, I'm not a big at maths. So in high school, that's what I still remember. Always behind. <laughs> yeah, math was also one of my was was one of my least favorite subjects as well. So it's good to know that we're on the same page there. <laughs> and so, just starting off with your after high school and and going to university, what was it that you studied? What was kind of your next step in your education journey? Yeah. I graduated from my high school um, back in 2000. I did not realize how, you know, pursuing the right career paths and, and major would help me to to be who I am today. I think deciding in, you know, pursuing my major in computer science after graduate, which is kind of key important. And also having a chance to continue my career path in you know IT profession profession it's it's value added to the whole journey <laughs> that passed through you know over seventeen years after that you know have helped me to to grow personally and professionally and give me opportunity to start this business. And just quickly, I'm I'm curious during that time in the two thousand early two thousands, what was the computer science field like during that time? Was it was it very popular, or was it something that you were just genuinely curious about? I I would not say it was popular because it's <laughs> probably only one class, probably in probably just a few class at university during you know two thousand. I think it also can a lot of con convince to parents and and achieve that this is something that gonna be big in the future. But I think accounting business and other part were, were always the top trend. But technic technical or technology were not the trend those times. Yeah, understood. I I can I can agree with that. And so after graduation, what was your first job out of school or what was your first work experience like? I, I was, I was hired and I got, I got first internship at one of computer shop. It was popular in that time. There's a lot of computer shop in Phnom Penh. So I got four month internship there. I got an offer at that shop, but I did not like the overall responsibility because I have to carry the computer. I have to go and setting up many, many other labor so that I decided not to continue. But then I got an offer from one 
international NGO as a um, computer technician the first time. And from and from that career path on, just kind of taking a look back, you you held multiple you know IT manager positions, and then eventually leading to actually uh, organizing Startup Weekend in Phnom Penh. And so, curious to hear what your experience was like, kind of joining into this more of community building side of your career. <laughs> I did not realize that I think it's it helped, but I think again look look at to be able to to see the why we are here. I think we look at the dot that we have created so far. You know, since we you know we start our first career path. Um, so I think after being IT professional, I think more than fifteen years. So I think there's something that in my mind that. You don't feel something satisfy you when you just come to work from eight to seven, you know, with just your computer because you know as the IT, you know, you're always with the black screen. There's something trigger me, you know, what can I do better? What can I do beyond just sitting a ten hour per day? And that's kind of time where I found a few community group like, you know, backhand. That is the first people that I met through Backham. And one of that, he also ran some community event like Startup Weekend. I think that's kind of where I found something that, you know, the answer that I have been asking myself, you know, what can you do better than just with your computer? <laughs> so that's <laughs> the, 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 starting, the starting of that journey. Then met those people that still move opportunity to believe there's something you can do with your skill, with your personality and with, you know, the group that you can, you know, work with. Yeah. The, the strength of community and also just being around like-minded people, it, it helps really elevate your next steps and into what you want to do next. And so from that experience, did you, did you take what you learned from there to, start system experts as your first crack at starting a company? Right, yeah. I think mm. the, 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 the two-year thing, like, know them, being part of the groups, run some program and events, that helped me to open up the thing you can do, right, beyond just your technical skill. Then that's how I start my first company, System Expert. But I wasn't brave enough. As well, you know, I think kind of, I asked my boss to, you know, to have 50% part-time. And I told him, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I want to start something. <laughs> and I think he, he did not like, but somehow, you know, I said, I don't feel that I belong at work anymore. Just mm -hmm. give me a chance. And then, you know, I said, okay, just do what you want to do. Then I spent about yeah, a year on at times and then starting my first, you know, <laughs> entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. Well, you were, you were a good smooth talker to your manager. Leap. That's what we've learned. You were able to get the best of both worlds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so what was, what was your biggest takeaway from starting system experts? What, what did you learn as a founder starting the company, especially, you know, especially in 2015, 2016 time for uh, 
the Cambodia startup scene then? Oh, yeah, I think maybe, you know, startup kind of the first word that I heard, right? It's like, what is this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of the partial that you learn. So, but I think it's something that has shaped and transformed because, you know, I grew up as an engineer. I've been working with, you know, many years there engineer but you know running your own business you cannot take only one head to operate and scale your business so there's thing that you have to transform you have to learn and grow your personality and skill to be able to you know to 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 this journey and yeah i think learning it it the thing that it it have always in my dictionary after struggles and uh, uh, be able to adapt right on on the journey. And yeah, I think this is I, I what I can see. It's still along with me on the learning. What you you know because every stage of quit your full time starting a business with one employee or ten or twenty. You know, there's a stage that we as indi like individual have to learn and grow there's always comfort zone but then there's when you grow when there's your company grow when there's more stuff you have to keep you know involved in in your skill development yeah and and as your business grows there is that next level of accountability like you said because you can start something for yourself but then you're only accountable for yourself. But then as you move to one employee to 10 to 20, it's the, at those different stages, it's very much a learning experience that you may not have had before. Right. So it's more people to deal with more situations. And I'm sure that's yeah. very, very interesting. Yeah. I want to add one more thing, you know, like I, I think <clears throat> before I was trying to find way to grow my business, maybe read the book, try to ask people, trying to expose myself to, you know, uh, friends and professional mentor. But something that I'm figuring out only about last two, three years, it's how you can improve anything, even family, home, work, or business. It's about you. If you can improve 1% daily, I think then you can make the change. You can transform your home better, your your works or your business. But everything has to start from you, individual. Yeah, actually, I recently read a book called Atomic Habits and it was saying 1% better every day is almost 80 times better in a year, I think. That was his math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. No, so that's, that's great advice entrepreneurs and can, can you can you talk to us a little bit about like how how Salah came into being and what um, what was the spark for you wanting to go off and start start the company I think you know my first company was a consulting IT consulting company but we only provide open source technology as you know tool that we provide um, I think luckily the, the first couple of year majority of our customer were school and university. <laughs> That's kind of where I have seen and observed, you know, challenges when you were in the school, in the university, you see the struggle that the school administrator have, the teachers and the students, right? I think that's kind of where I have learned and I have observed and, and have 
found that, you know, hey, you know, we could do this thing better technology that we have. And then I think I approached one university partner that, hey, you know, we have a tool that could help you. Are you interested to, are you interested to, you know, work with us on developing the, the software for your university? And I think one of them say, you know, yes, why not? <laughs> I think that kind of Salah have a form of founded through the observation that I had with existing customer and having the courage to ask, like knock the door to get the opportunity happening. And they say yes. And then, you know, I, I start to build a team, get the, I think first of all, I take open source technology to tailor and, and develop its then. But then found out on the way that, you know, this thing cannot be scaled until probably a year. Then we have started to restructure uh, the proper team and then start new development from the scratch. So I think it was 2018 those time. Yeah. Okay. And, and talk to us about how the first year went and like, what were some of the what were some of the early lessons that you had, like starting, you know, starting the business and growing and building a team? <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of learning because it's consulting and it's the software development team, you know, that have to run at the same time. Starting as the consulting, normally it's, it's, it's easy to get the project and generate income in the software development. It's, you know, you always have been to invest. So this is something that I have learned and, and also underestimate how cash have to be burned and have to, you know, you have to find a way to generate between the consulting and the software development. And I always underestimate this part for the first couple of years. Hiring the, the people, I think, right, having the right people in the team, it's also a mistake that I have made throughout my, my such year um, journey. And I think the third part on having the reserve cash is also not in my priority. It's always grow, but you never know what's going to happen, you know, especially, you know, COVID, we, ne we haven't heard, you know, this thing before, but it's happening. But having a reserve would be, like conservative plan would help a lot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You just mentioned also there about like, um, you know, finding the right team members. What have been some of the ways that you've been able to um, adapt that moving forward? You said, you know, you've had times where you've, where you've got that wrong. Like what, what are, what are some of the signals that you have now in order to like find the right people? Right. I think I, I stopped doing like a proper interview. This is the first thing that I have made like chain. So I'm more like conversation with the candidate that I met. I don't look only for skill only, you know, for example, software development, it may not only one that could be selection criteria, but I look on how, um, I, I think one word that I normally tell my staff about, you know, people, company fit, <laughs> so it's about personality attributes yep. and so on. Right. So is she have company culture fit? Right. So I think this is always in my critical selection to apart from the skill only that I only make um, on the first, you know, uh, on the early day when I start. So having only the skill would not be sustainable 
to be, you know, to to support, to to come in, you know, to be a startup and a product that, you know, it's gonna disrupt in one sector, for example. So I think having the the right personality attitude would be uh, the the key on top of the skill that she he has. Okay. Okay. Great. And you know, since since starting Sala, have you been able to like, uh, you know, you obviously you're the main founder, but your your other your other team members, have you been able to like, you know, keep them with you for a long time and incentivize them in other ways as you've as you've grown? Yeah, I think my my CTO and co-founder, which I think he's been with me since we started Sala. He, I think he, I met him through backend through the program that I run. And he was started as a, I think he started as a freelance, and then you know we learn we we can we connect we learn and we grow personally and professionally, and then we start to you know yeah start this journey together. And it's been like a five six year already that we've been working. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, also, like, how has the the product like iterated over time? Like, you know, since you started. What what did Salah look like in you know let's say 2019 versus what does it look like today and what, how your focus focus has changed on the product side of things? Yeah, I think as I mentioned that we have started Salah through the observation that we have with the institute and university, which was tailor specific to institute and university. So if you if you look at the customer persona, those time was focused on. Mapping the administrator, teacher, and and academics personnel, but now it's quite different how customer persona have or shaped into student. So the the feature that we have developed is more focused on day to day tool where it could have enrich or enhance the learning experience for student. I think it have a lot in a way that the team have clearer focus and also doesn't have quite pressure to develop something that would only specific to enterprise product, right? Focus. Because a student would be easy to, to, you know, to get the thing that they want, you know. So I think this is the big thing of the the product. It's also help us to get the product right and also easy to, you know, faster to, to the release as well to the market. And just a quick question in ter- for the audience's perspective, could you give a quick example of what maybe a student user experience would be like if they were to use Sala? So I think we have three pillars. So basically the first one to support high school students navigate to university with confidence. So as a student, you can get comprehensive information about major and university to select. If they are not sure, there's a tool, a personality test where the student can learn about who they are and what their personality look like and how that personality would fit to what potential major. And if they are not sure about major, so there's a educational content, a career guidance where they can learn about what major, what preparation that they have to take and what potentially career path that they you know, can be after they graduate. Of course, you know, still, if they are unsure, we have full customer student experience. So where the student can have a one-to-one mentor, mentor, mentorship. So they can ask whatever question that they have. 
because they talk to human. So then I think students have a very comfortable when there's a human talk to them on probably answer what the question that they have or concern that they need to clarify. And once those things clarify, the student have confidence, so student can create them. Uh, then create the application and then apply to university based on their fa favorite major and financial option that they can, you know, afford. And then, you know, when they are accepted product um, that they offer, that we offer, so student, so it's a day-to-day -to -day tool where students can access to their curriculum, their homework, engage with the teacher, seeing the performance feedback um, and so on throughout their you know, program at the university. And I think the third part that we hopefully this year, the third pillar, so where we aim to match students with the fast track to internship and job based on their personality, based on the performance track record and based on their career desire that they want to do, so that we could have matching for those students to the right jobs and, and place. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting. It's a fully integrated experience from high school to post graduation for the student, and it's also a platform for them to feel very comfortable in, especially in you know kind of having this you know ground floor to be able to always check in and say you know how is my performance, how has my personality maybe changed over time towards my career path that I'm looking to get into or wanting to study. So it's it's really really interesting and. It reminds me of a university program that that we had, which it's it's called a co-op. So they so for example, the university would work with the engineering school, and uh, would help find this connection between companies to that who are providing internships to these students at the university. And a few friends that have gone through those kind of programs have had spoken very highly of it, and how it's a great way to step into that professional real world experience. So that's, a, it's really exciting to hear that Sala is creating that opportunity for students. So, yeah. Um, has it, <clears throat> sorry, has there been any um, difference in how, you know, in, in basically getting these universities to integrate with these systems versus like, you know, if they're a private or a public university or like, do you have a focus on one or the other or do you work with like all types of, um, all types of universities? I think we started with, you know, as you know, in startup world, the early adapter only a few percent. <laughs> so I think we have only have to be careful in picking the right early adapter. You know, I think we have started with private university and institute where, uh, you know, like having the openness discussion and, you know, having the, the, the requirement, the challenges that we have and have developed the product over time. But I think since we have done that some year, I think we start to have more traction and support by public institution and also public school this year as well. But I think in the medium and the long term, Bella aim to, you know, to be a nationwide platform where public and private school and university can adapt to. Because uh, we have learned, we have also made mistakes, but we have also have, you know, develop our product based on the lesson, based on the mistake that we make. So that's kind of where we hope, you know, the platform would be affordable and scalable for Cambodian education system, either public or private. 
And just to to double click on that, is, how does this relate to? Uh, recently read that you had signed an MOU with the Ministry of Education, Youth, and Sports for the Going Digital for Education initiative, and how that has the support of eighteen public and private universities. So that that's that's a lot of universities as well. And so, how has that collaboration been like, and what does that mean for the development of higher education in the country? Right. I think it be. Look back, you know. I think when my when my first graduate from high school, you know, depending on parents' uh, relative offline information, it's still there until now, right? So basically, on the digital on on the MOU that we have with ministry and other eighteen university partner, so basically that we focus on three objective. So I think first objective is to increase the access to information for high school students. Basically, you know, transform what we had before when I was one of those students navigate to university, which also still happening right now, to be able to digitalize all the university information, both public and private. So that student doesn't know doesn't matter who they are, where they are, they can access to, you know, high quality uh, information when they navigate from high school to university. The second objective is to um, go digital for school, which basically supporting school to go digital, to reduce amount of manual papers into way that increase effectiveness and efficient on the school operation, but also have facilitated you know, teaching and learning for the students throughout, you know, their study at high, in the high school as well. I think the third objective is to increase the, 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 increase the, the number of students can continue to have education because there's so many students have dropped off because of the less study opportunity. I think to do so, we have currently trying to extend our coverage into vocational training. We have potentially any student that doesn't have ability to continue to higher education, probably drop out from high school. They can have other alternative career path, for example, be you know, could be become machineries and, and to take some, you know, some technical course that allow them to be a qualified workforce for the market in Cambodia or as well as in abroad. Yep. Perfect. And yeah, speaking more on that, that like a lot of trade jobs as well. So, you know, for example, in, in the U S you have, you know, you have trade schools for those that are electricians or some uh, those that want to pursue those career paths as well. And one of the, one of the barriers or challenges that you mentioned a little bit earlier was the, the cost of university as well. And, in early 2022, Sala and AMK got together and signed an agreement to offer Cambodian students, I guess, student loans to be able to complete higher education. How has that program been developing? And could you maybe talk a little bit more on if there is or what the um, what the student loan situation is like for most university students? Right. I think the... Throughout the enrollments from year to year, I think we have heard, apart from you know access to information, knowing what they want to do, how to apply, and and so on, you know, throughout the COVID period, students have addressed the impact of their family, 
to be able to support their study. So I think after repeated hearing from the student that comes through our platform, so we have identified, you know, beyond the need of the enrollment, so the student, you know, would need financial support. So that's kind of where we try to explore a possibility where Salah could, you know, bring value added to potential students that comes through our platform. So we have identified MFI partner, you know, AMK, that, you know, have ambitious and, and mission to support uh, any student who need to access to, you know, education, but probably have difficulty to access to finance. So basically, we partner with AMK in order to provide affordable student loan where students need and make this accessible for all Cambodian students. And I think we had around six months. That's the first very like very small scale, and because we want to learn because this is a new a new vertical. We've been in education space for quite some time, but in financial, it's we have subject limited knowledge so that's the reason we want to do very small and then learn from it and i think this year we have identified what the most potential need what the right product what would be the faster way for students to get at the process so hopefully this year we could scale uh, to have more attractive and better product and service on access to finance for cambodian students Great. And, and just, just out of curiosity, what is the average average cost of university per year for a student in Cambodia? I think it's about 700 to 1,000 for the average tuition fee. Okay. Okay. And you also were mentioning earlier about how, um, you know, you, there's this high drop dropout rate for, for university and like, the, you know, the percent of people that actually go to university. Do you, do you also, are you also aware of what, you know, what percent today in 2023 of of the of, of students that you know finish high school what percent are now actually trying to go to university do you have that figure right. yeah i think we're on the high num high level number so we have around a hundred thousand grade 12 students yearly yeah and if we own if we look for the number of the student who can continue to have education it's about 25 to thirty thousand only if we it's only about, I think, one, one out of uh, three students can continue to higher education. Okay. So that's kind of, you know, concern me a lot. You know, if I look at the number from this year to the last five years, I think this have been similar statistic that only about 25% of total grad fair students could continue to university. So that's where, you know, having alternative you know, a uh, uh, career path, for example, vocational technical training would be the affordable and also alternative for students who may not have goals to continue their higher education. Yeah, and just, just like, how does that compare to the region? Like, 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 let's say Thailand, Vietnam, the surrounding region, is that Cambodia a bit lower than these other countries? Yeah, I think compared to Vietnam, Thailand, and Indonesia, and Philippines, they there we have a very low rate on continue to higher education. Mm -hmm. But but out, out of curiosity, what was it? What was it ten years ago? Like so, I mean, there has there has been some growth, right? But it's you're saying it's recent states. 
Yeah. Some grow, but still significant, you know, number yeah. that we have to look at, right? So as I said, you know, the last five years, about 25% only. Okay. Remaining 70, 75% that could not do it, right? Continue. Okay. Okay. Understood. And also, maybe you could also provide some perspective on also what percent of students end up actually leaving Cambodia for, for university. And if that is still a a strong, you know, strong trend as well, or people actually looking at some of the high quality universities here instead of going abroad for university? I think if the study abroad potentially with family, with, with family back, like a uh, better income family, but also there's some student who could get funded scholarship, right? There's that some, but I think it's still quite just 2% percentage only compared to overall student who have ability or or chance to get funded study abroad. The majority students still continue their study in Cambodia. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, just last question on like the overall, you know, market and, and Salah. If we were to talk to you in, let's say three, four years time, what would you have, what would you have expected to achieve by then? What would you kind of, what is kind of the vision? you know, as, as we, as you look into the future for Salah. Right. So yeah, we have ambitious to, you know, enrich 74 million students in on Southeast Asia, right. In the next five years. And of course, you know, to do that, so Cambodia would be the foundation that we have to, you know, to tackle in the next two years. Um, we currently running research and development R&D for the second emerging country, where Salah could have our footprint based on the current product and service that we offer and what the potential country that would, that allow us to, you know, have a very minimum product customization to be able to go into that. So I think we, we are closer to, you know, have a roadmap to scale from Cambodia in the next two years time. Just, just adding, I mean, you don't have to necessarily mention the country, but what are the, what are the surrounding countries that you're the most excited about as, as a, as a place to expand after Cambodia? Vietnam. <laughs> okay. Understood. <laughs> We've also talked to some, some, some guests that have gone to Myanmar and Malaysia. Yeah. It's really, no, it's really interesting to hear which one people decide to go to first. Yeah. Yeah. And just curious, out of curiosity in terms of the ed tech sector in Cambodia and maybe comparatively to other countries in the region, you know, where, where do you think, what stage do you think that sector is at just overall? And, you know, what do you think will, uh, it'll take for it to continue to grow? Um, I think this is the, the biggest challenges, you know, because there, there is a few sector that have been, prioritize, especially in adapting technology, you know, for example, financial sector, real estate and, and transportation. But I think education and school universities still a bit reluctant. But somehow if we look at the impact through COVID pandemic, I think it have shift have changed the perception of having the right tool or having the right technology would allow them to be more effective and efficient and also have shift from the, the 
the perspective that having technology is the the expenses. So some schools have seen this is the investment for better to be more competitive age compared to their competitor, for example, and ha- having a ways to have a better engage with their parent and student that could allow them to be competitive in the market. So I think this have helped us a lot in the discussion in we had with the current customer or potential partner or customer that we comparing to something before COVID, which is quite different. So I believe if the mindset had been achieved, right, from now, the next three to five years, this will be the potential force of the fifth sector that could be disrupted by by technology. VSLA would be the player to help them to transform their school or their education into more digital in the next three to five years. Well, that's really exciting. And I know if I was a student and and I was using Sala's system, I would do everything in my power to not have my mom have my password to my university grades. I would not want her to be looking at those. I would just uh, be trying to not have that happen. <laughs> well, as we as we transition into our our last section, which is a more interpersonal, getting getting to know you and and the way that you have uh, you know grown your approaches as a as a leader and a founder. The first one is, what has been your biggest failure or biggest failure that has come to mind? And what did you learn from that experience? (laughs) (laughs) I think if I look back, um, I still believe that I may did not focus on improving, you know, I think myself, because as I mentioned earlier on discussion, that I've been focused on improving business process and people, but I think I think I, I kind of lack on knowing that everything that would change would be start from me. So if I have to change, if I can turn back the time, this is where I want to focus, getting about me being better the individual, as a father, as a founder, or as one of the leader, either probably with one staff, right? Because without that, I think it's going to be difficult to have a beer something, you know, even be a good family, or building a project at a company, or building a good, a good company. So I would start on me, which is the first product that I have to develop. And then after that, you know, we could have more people around me where, you know, probably I have more experience, I have clearer direction, I have a clearer vision that, you know, allow them to get inspired and follow me. No, that's really great. And, and kind of thinking about that as well, what do you think people misunderstand about you the most in that aspect? Um, I think people would, I think my staff have always talked to me that, uh, I should not make mistakes, <laughs> but uh, I, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, I told them that. Look, you know, I'm also a human, just the same as you. Probably my age is a bit older, 
probably I have past working experience a bit longer, but there's thing that I cannot prevent on making mistakes. I think this is all people around me that they assume being as a CEO or founder would be a perfect candidate. But I told, totally agree, disagree with them that, you know, we are all human. Mistake is just part of the learning curve that we all have to face. But a matter of are you be able to prevent that similar mistake, it's time, right? <clears throat> this is always my... Every staff that I have, you know, that they always confuse and underestimate that, you know, CEO would not make a mistake. Yeah, that's true. The CEO always is right, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably, we, probably the people in the company who make a lot of mistakes tend to CEO. Mm-hmm. Oh, fair enough. And, you know, you've mentioned a, a couple of times and also before we, we pressed record on the the podcast that you are a father and you have three sons and what important lesson do you try to teach them or want them to be aware of as they are you know in their earlier age as they're growing you know what is one lesson that you like to try and pass down to them i think this is one thing that i it's a working in progress for me to my staff and also my son it's about who they who they want to be I think this thing I probably had still remember in my old younger experience or younger age that I thought about being other person, you know, probably, you know, Steve Jobs or whoever that famous. But actually something that we can't, you know, this put us a lot of pressure or put us in a un- uncomfortable role or position because you never be that person. I think until realizing that just truly being truly who you are, knowing that there's a strength and weakness and being happy about what you have, your strength, right? Of course. Yeah. And I think this is something that I am teaching my son, being who they want to to be. I think two of them want to be a pilot. I said, yes, why not? Who's stopping you? You know, you can do it. Ask yourself what type of skill that be able for you to be a pilot and take Mm -hmm. it from now. There's nothing can stop you. I think this is, I would have learned this since I was young. I'd probably stay in the dark so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, the self-awareness, self having self-awareness, and, and that's a really, you know, important, you know, characteristic that you continue to grow as you, as you have more experiences too. So, being able to at least start that off early on will help you realize, you know, what skills do I need to get to what it is that I want to do and what will ultimately make you happy. So it's really, yeah, it's a really great lesson to be able to share with them. And so for looking back in your career as well, and are there any formative books or podcasts or TV shows that, you know, have really made an impact on who you are today? Or that you always remember? I think the book called uh, the, um, the Strange Secret, I think which is the author by Mr. Nightingale, mm-hmm. um, that has achieved, I think, my personality, professionally, and also business. I, I, I think without having read or listened to this podcast or book, 
I would probably, I would not make a difference to overcome probably challenges in the business, professional and home. Yeah, I would probably recommend audience who probably have a bit struggle on knowing who you are, having lack confidence on yourself and probably don't know where they want to go. I, I think this probably the books that I would recommend. And as I'm also trying to introduce this to my core team and the business partner who I work with, because I really see if they actually could um, identify that there's an issue in them, it would probably be easy for them to improve. And mm -hmm. without that, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them to overcome to really be who they want to be in, you know, probably next one to five of in the future. So I would start from there. It's a great suggestion. And for the last question that we have in our interview, and it is our traditional closing question is that what is the most important piece of advice that you've ever been given? That I have been given or I um, can that you, that you <laughs> Yeah. No, it, it is a, what is the most important piece of advice that you have ever been given so that you have received? I think, um, I think I met many founder, like early founder when I wanted to start business. I have made underestimate or judgment that, you know, uh, they, they've been telling me, telling me that this is a tough, tough fetch journey if you want to quit your full-time with family and, and have children and being a founder but I did not I did I I think I did not trust <laughs> I, I did not trust their, <laughs> their, their advice so I don't I don't think so um, <laughs> I think probably if uh, I would do I would probably encourage that, you know, you, every advice you should do assessment, don't make judgment on the first impression, right? It's probably mm -hmm. don't judge the book by its cover. So you probably have yeah. to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a, that's a fantastic piece of advice to close out on. So Leap, thank you again so much for coming on to Rising Giants with us. We had a, an absolute blast learning about your experience, who you are, and all the exciting things that Sala is up to. And we will for sure look forward to keeping in touch in the near future and seeing all of your accomplishments. So thank you. Great. Thanks a lot, thank Norms you. and Max, for having me. It's a great yeah. opportunity to be, you know, part of the podcast and be able to share my experience. So hopefully there's something that, you know, the audience can, you know, take away and um, learn from. <laughs>